Well, hello, Surgery Center listeners, and again, welcome to episode number two of the Excellentia podcast, Surgery Center Chat. Hi, I'm Roger Manning. I'm here with Kathy Montgomery today. We are both managing partners and founders of Excellentia Advisory Group, who is hosting this Surgery Center Chat podcast. Boy, I want to tell you, we're so grateful for all the emails uh, that came in this past week, giving us positive feedback on episode number one and giving us encouragement to continue. As a reminder, our podcast series is intended to discuss current hot topics in regulatory compliance, pertinent ASC industry news, and we'll have some uh, guest interviews from time to time with some successful surgery center management folks that we know from around the country. Uh, We intend to provide you with a new podcast presentation on a weekly basis, unless something keeps us from doing that. So please stay tuned to our webpage for upcoming episodes. We'll try to release that uh, on each Monday. Also, we're going to apply to some of the popular podcast sites like iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and maybe some of the others that you uh, like to uh, listen to. Uh, Once we do that, uh, we will let you know so that you can find us there as well. Episode two will be about Kathy Montgomery discussing some hot issues that she has heard recently regarding surveyors coming in and looking over emergency operations plans. So welcome again to the show. And at this time, I would like to ask Kathy Montgomery to join in for her presentation on EOP. Well, thanks for joining us today for Surgery Center Chat. We actually received a lot of positive feedback from last week's session. Thanks to you who responded, kind of motivates us to continue these updates for you. Well, I've been getting calls from surgery centers requesting help with their plans of correction as a result of recent surveys. I am seeing on them citations for missing elements in their emergency operations plan. As you know, these plans were required as of November of 2017. The rule actually was approved back in November of 2016, but they gave us all a year to kind of pull it together. But they expected us to have it all in place by November 15th of 2017. I thought we'd take advantage of our new podcast offerings to let you know where the landmines seem to be. I want to try and clarify the requirements for you. Our firm has completed over a 100 emergency operations manuals that we've customized for our clients. So we've pretty much experienced most of the states at this point. In fact, there's one state that I'm aware of that's using our model to train their surveyors. Pretty awesome. But the truth is, even some surveyors, they're, they're still struggling to find all the elements when they come on site to do your survey. So one of the things that we've started to do is utilize a worksheet that was actually created by one of the departments of health to clarify what pages they can reference to find what they're looking for. And then we include that in the manuals. I was trying to cut down on undeserved citations because I've seen this happening. Now, with that said, I just had a surveyor in Oklahoma. They wanted something worded a little bit differently than what the way we had it. So again, this is not an exact science. And as you know, it's better to comply with these surveyors than try to argue with them in, you know, in the middle of a citation. So we try to accommodate. Everybody sees things a little bit differently, and we've all talked in the past, surveyors are not all created equal. And again, the surveyors, they're really struggling with these plans. I I tend to see it more often when a state uses their surveyors 
to look at various healthcare entity types. Not all states have the luxury of just having surveyors that do surgery centers, surveyors that just do hospitals, etc. Because there are 17 different types of healthcare facilities that are required to do these plans of corrections, everything from hospitals to dialysis centers. But the rules vary just a little bit depending on what type of a facility it is. So I can only imagine how confusing it is for the surveyors to keep it straight. And I have to say that I feel ASCs are probably one of the few entities that has the least meaningful application to some of these tags, just by the nature of what we do. This makes the entire concept from both sides, surveyors and ASCs, clearly a bit of a challenge. With that said, let me go over some of the key tags that are being cited. The emergency operation tags are labeled as E-tags. The rules can be found in Appendix Z if you feel like doing some late night reading. But let's start with ETAG 4. Your plan has to be reviewed annually. So that means when you think about the timelines that I just mentioned earlier, that you've got to have something dated at least by November 15 of 2017. And then it would be expected that a year later, you would have another authorization of your plan, November 15th of 2018. So again, two approvals are required by now. This can be structured however you like, but at the least, it should be in your board minutes as the board is the folks that are supposed to oversee this program. I'm going to say that often I see the survey team leader assign the emergency operations plan to the life safety surveyor. The problem there from my perspective, is that they are not generally as familiar with sifting through board minutes. So you might want to consider something in the actual manual itself, maybe like a cover sheet where you can easily see the date and the signature. Now, if you do that, hopefully you're going to see something for 2017 as well as 2018. Then ETAG 6, this is this requires that your plan be based on a hazard vulnerability analysis. Now to prove that that's the case, you better have one ready. I make it an appendix, an exhibit to your emergency operation plan. If you can't prove that you have one, it actually defeats the purpose of your plan because the plan has to be based on your findings in the hazard vulnerability analysis. And by the way, that too, the hazard vulnerability vulnerability analysis, that should be reviewed annually as well, Whenever and also whenever there's an update, maybe due to an actual occurrence. So for example, maybe you have to close your facility because you've got a power outage, a flood, or some other kind of tragedy. You would generally alert the Department of Health about that closure. So your file is kind of flagged. And if a surveyor would show up, they would expect you to have an updated hazard vulnerability analysis based on that specific occurrence. Maybe it doesn't change anything, but maybe it does. You may have to take a second look at how you scored and prepared for that particular type of incident. Just a word to the wise. Now let's move on to ETAG 9, by far one of the troublemakers, collaboration with local, state, and federal emergency preparedness officials. You're going to need documentation of your efforts to contact them and collaborate with their planning efforts. I will say that my experience is that the information is readily available online, most often with an email address. So it's pretty simple for you to email them and get a read receipt. 
Now, with that said, I would probably estimate that only about 30% of the facilities that I'm working with get an actual response. Don't overthink this one. Just make sure that you have proof that you at least tried to reach out to them. Now, as far as ETAG 18 goes, that's the one that requires you to have a plan to track your patients and your staff during a disaster. So where you're going to want to start is who's going to be doing that? And then what happens if that person isn't available? Maybe they are part of the disaster. Who's going to be their backup? Who's going to jump in and pick up that task? After you figure that part out, then you want to make sure that your staff actually know their roles so that if they're interviewed by a surveyor, they can appropriately respond. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. We would like to remind you that Excellentia offers an exclusive e-membership program that has recently been enhanced to include many more features to it compared to the older version, which only had training videos. The new e-membership is now called All Access, and it has a library of policies and procedures, a library of forms. We've uh, created a calendar of industry events, giving you discounts on things like uh, infection prevention conferences or live conferences, as well as uh, discounts on customized policy and procedure manuals. There's much more that I haven't mentioned to the e-membership, so you need to probably come to our website and check it out or give us a call so that we can explain uh, all the features to you. As an e-member, you'll want to join us on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock Central Time for uh, a new program called Tuesday Morning Coffee with Kathy. Kathy will be doing a half hour or so webcast discussion where you can uh, participate. So if you aren't an e-member now, you need to check us out and see how it can really help you and your center stay on top of regulatory compliance. Now, ETAG 20, that one has to do with the evacuation of your facility. So where's everyone going to meet? Which staff is going to be involved in evacuation of which area of your facility? Some of it's going to be common sense, but there'll be other areas that you need to give special thought to. And then what is your plan for transportation? Should you need to get folks to an alternate facility for care, even just to get them away from the facility as quickly as possible. That could happen. There was cases of that in California during the wildfires. The expectation is that you have a backup plan. You can't just say, I'm going to call 911, because that system, as it was in California during the wildfires, could very easily be overloaded. The hospitals there, they used ended up using private vehicles to remove patients. You could do the same. You've got staff that have cars there. That would be a last resort. You've also got drivers that escorted your patients. So they could really be instrumental in helping to get their family members out, uh, kind of depending on what condition they're in and where they were in their cycle of surgery when the event occurred. This tag also references alternate communication. So what are you going to do if your phones go down? You might think cell phones are the answer, but those towers could go down as well. Likely texting will still be an option, so I would put that in my plan. Email, even Facebook, that could be part of your plan. Worked pretty well in California. 
Now, as far as ETAG 20 requires you to have policies and procedures on how you utilize volunteers, and it's okay to simply state your intention is not to utilize volunteers, you know, based on the fact that you're an ambulatory care facility doing elective procedures. But if things were to go bad, you would likely curtail operations, right? Well, let me just suggest that there could be a dire situation that occurs in your area that necessitates you maybe needing some help. I will tell you that all states have a medical volunteer program set up. You can grab that information and have it readily available should you need help. And then also, I would clearly state that you would only use volunteers to perform within their scope of practice. That's a nice touch. So the nurses are not going to go outside of the scope of nursing Text will not go out of the scope of their their uh, realm of what they can do. So now let's lastly tag 26. It's clearly the one that's causing the most issues for surgery centers. It's not one that's well understood, so I kind of think maybe sometimes facilities skip it, to be honest, when they're designing their plans. But let me give you a little background on this one. Bottom line, if the president declares a disaster in your area, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and currently that's Alex Azir, is allowed to declare a waiver 1135. That's an option for healthcare facilities. This waiver would allow you to bypass some of the red tape to allow your facility to be used by non-credentialed physicians, or conversely, I guess, maybe allow your physicians to go to a facility where they don't have privileges. One of one of the best examples in the ruling is that a physician would not even need to have a medical license in your state and could do surgery, as long as they can prove that they actually have a license someplace. The purpose of this is to make sure that there are enough services available for Medicare beneficiaries. That's what this all boils down to. I personally have not run into a surgery center that has any interest in getting involved in this option. So we write our manuals such that we will not be applying for such a waiver. I can see it if you're a hospital, but an ASC, it just doesn't seem like a good fit. The need doesn't seem to be there, and the chaos it would cause just seems to outweigh any benefit. The last area of concern for the emergency operations plan that I want to discuss with you is the testing of the plan. The requirement is actually for two community-based drills annually. So the intent here was that you would get involved in your with your maybe your local hospital, your local emergency preparedness group, um, maybe some other facet of the, the community, fire departments, police departments, all of this in the spirit of working together during time of need. This isn't going too well for surgery centers, especially for the privately owned facilities. If you have a hospital partner, it's a little bit more likely that they're going to invite you to have a role in their drill. But if they're not your partner, it's become a little challenging. I should mention, by the way, that these hospitals are under the exact same rules that we are. So, you know, it would it's unfortunate that they don't let us partner with them for their drills. All I can say is try and keep proof that you did try. But in the absence of getting an invite, you're going to need to create your own community, so to speak. So maybe a drill with all the tenants in your complex, your building. An active shooter is an, ex, ex, you know, excellent example. Because 
One, we've had so many incidents. And two, I think you could get the intention of your neighbors when you mention that you're trying to come up with a plan for everybody's safety, including them. And if there were an incident at your location, because it would affect them as well. I hope sharing the pitfalls today has been helpful. Obviously, I didn't review all the tags, just those that seem to be causing the greatest amount of noncompliance. If you've not developed your plan yet, or you still have questions, we have a full session on this subject on our View Upon Demand tab at our website, um, as well as I mentioned earlier, the customized manuals. Once you get past the paperwork of creating the plan, I strongly advise you to practice, practice, practice. These incidents, they seem to be part of our daily routine these days. Um, and I'd like to hope that they're never going to affect any of our facilities, but they seem to be popping up all over the country. Well, that concludes episode number two for Excellentia Surgery Center Chat. I invite you to watch our website for future offerings. Next week, we're going to take a look back at 2018 just to kind of recap and see what lessons can be learned overall in our industry, reflecting on additional troubled areas in order to plan for a successful 2019 is my is my hope for you. Um, so join us. Uh, hope you'll find time. Thanks for listening today and hope you all have a great week. Well, Kathy, it certainly has been amazing to us how many surgery centers have come to us for assistance with the EOP plan, uh, as well as uh, asking us to write up a customized manual for them. Surveyors are certainly trained and prepared to review your EOP, and we just want you to be prepared and citation-free. So thank you for listening in today. I hope you'll find that this discussion on EOP will encourage you to uh, maybe take a, a further look at yours. If anyone in the audience has further questions, please reach out to Kathy at her email, which is Kathy with a C, C A T H Y, at excellentiagroup.com. That's E X C E L L E N T I A G R O U P.com. We want to thank our audience and friends in the ASE industry for joining us today. Please don't forget about becoming one of the e-members so that we can be even more engaged. And please don't forget to check out our webpage at www.excellentiagroup.com for next week's podcast subject. Bye now.